The 2023 NFL regular season has come to a merciful end. The Titans obviously not in playoff contention, but they ended the season on a high note, knocking the Jags out of the playoffs, sending their division rivals packing. We're going to break down Derrick Henry's potential last game with the Titans. What's going on with the draft order? This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. Is it over, Justin? Is the King's reign in Nashville done? <laughs> it's hard to say, right? But that, I mean, that to me, I think as I've calmed down a little since the end of Sunday, uh, it sounded like a goodbye just in case, right? I don't think just it was certainly case. a goodbye, but I think it's a just in case we don't get to do this again. Goodbye. I'll admit I got a little emotional when he broke off the 69-yard run. Because oh, yeah. in that very mo- by the way, shout out to Matt Neely, 69-yard run and Derrick Henry, potential final game as a Titan. Yeah. That crossed my mind. But what crossed my mind immediately in that moment, and it's crazy to me that it crossed my mind right in the moment, is that might be the last one. That might be the last big Derrick Henry run. I thought of it immediately, and I did get a tad emotional, I will admit. Um, he was outstanding. It was vintage Derrick Henry. He surpassed, what was it, Earl Campbell for the most 100-yard games in, in Titans history. Uh, he ran for his, I believe, what, his 90th touchdown of his career, also climbing the ranks on that leaderboard, the league-wide ranks, not just the Titans ranks, of course. Um, got a little closer to Eddie George, right, and becoming the franchise all-time leading rusher. Of course, he'd have to come back next year to finish the job. I think he's only like 500 yards away after yesterday's performance, so certainly he would. you, you think he'd get there um, if he gets another year here. Um, I don't know if it's over. I'll be honest. I don't know that I'm a, I mean, I, don't, don't tune out, but I don't know that I'm a great person to have this conversation with because I wrote an article about it, by the way, a couple of days ago on Broadway sports. I thought, I, I thought I did a good job. Of course I always, I, I never think anything I write sucks, but I thought I did a good job. Um, maybe I'm too close to it. I don't know. Right. Like it's, I get it. Right. And I acknowledge a lot of things in the article, right. 30 years old um, depends what the contract looks like non-premium position, uh, you want to launch more of a traditional drop back passing game. You want to improve other areas of the roster. Um, but I feel a bit more confident in speaking with my chest out about <laughs> the article I wrote, uh, talking about, you know, why maybe they should resign him. Cause I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. They should let him go. And then uh, Joe Rex road of the athletic wrote uh, a couple days later, an article that also made an argument for bringing him back. Uh, so I'm not alone here. I don't think I'm not, I'm not the only um, smart one that thinks, Maybe they bring him back. And, I, and I'll quickly outline some of the argument. I'll, I'll throw it to you first. But when I think of why or why you wouldn't resign him, um, I, I don't see a lot of harm in resigning him. But I, I want to throw it to you first before I kind of outline my reasoning. 
Yeah, let me just say, welcome everyone to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media in partnership with 440 Sports. Make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel, the Music City Audible podcast. If you didn't know, I'm Justin Graver, my co-host Justin Mello here as always. And yeah, the, the soundbite I played there at the beginning, if you missed it on social media, Derek Henry addressing the fans inside Nissan Stadium after the game. And like you said, just in case he doesn't come back, possibly giving them, taking the chance to say goodbye to the fan base that has loved him for the eight years he's been in Nashville. And I, I'm with you, actually. I'm, I've am i been kind of beating this drum the whole time that I think Derrick Henry's, like the place that makes the most sense for him to land in free agency is back in Nashville. The Titans, he is more valuable to the Titans than he is to any other team. He's a culture leader in the locker room. He's a guy in practice who, if they mess up running, run blocking on a play, he makes them rerun the play till they get it right. He's a, a accountability leader, a cultural leader, and obviously one of the franchise's best players that they've ever had on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Probably got to play a few more seasons at a decently high level, not necessarily the elite level he was, but got to play a few more seasons at a decent level to really make his Hall of Fame case stand out. But I'm with you. I think... I don't think this is Derrick Henry's last game in Nashville. The caveat that I have recently come to accept is that if Mike Vrabel is not the head coach of the Titans, that whole thing about Henry having more value to the Titans than any other team kind of goes out the window because the reason he has that value is the relationship he has with Mike Vrabel, that Mike Vrabel trusts him to be the player, leader, accountability guy in the locker room when Mike Vrabel is not around, someone that can get the get the offense you know, going in the right direction and motivated in the right way. We saw how motivated the offense was for Derrick Henry on Sunday in that final Week 18 game, in that win over Jacksonville, they were blocking their asses off for him. But the best run blocking we've seen all season from this Titans team, he ran... The broadcast put up a graphic that showed how many yards yeah. before contact Henry had in this game. It was over 100 yards before contact, career high. That means the offensive line was blocking their butts off. And this is against the Jacksonville wow. team that that you know was able to shut him down earlier in this season the first time they met. The AFC South has come to Derrick Henry owned the AFC South for years. And this season, it felt like they had a handle on how to stop him finally after all these years of being owned. So the fact that these guys are motivated to block for him and play for him, knowing it could be his last game, but also just because they love him as a teammate. I think if Mike Vrabel is back, Derrick Henry is back. Uh, that'll make a good trivia question one day, because I think uh, when it's all said and done, if you ask people which offensive line, uh, gave Derrick Henry the I almost you know I don't I don't want to call it the best blocking but the most yards before contact people would probably guess one that had Taylor Lewan, Roger Saffold, and Ben Jones on it, not one that had Andrew Rupsich and Andre Dillard and Dylan Raiditz and Aaron Brewer on it, right? And Peter Skaronsky. So and John Ajukwu replacing John Andre Ajoku. Dillard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Played a couple reps there at left. I think Dillard came back in, but Ajoku yeah. playing a bunch of reps at left tackle when Dillard went out hurt uh, momentarily. Um, I, I think people sort of, I'm glad you said it because I think people underrate when talking through these decisions, a lot of what you said about him being a leadership guy, about him holding others accountable, just listen, you know, it, look, when you're sitting at home, it's easy to, and look, sometimes it's a good thing, but it's easy to sort of remove all that and just make cold hearted business decisions, just evaluate, right? But when you're close to this team and you're, or you're on this team, look at the way guys spoke about him in the locker room after. To, to see how kind of, how special he is. Peter Skaronsky called him the heartbeat of the team and said, I mm -hmm. hope I really hope he's back. DeAndre Hopkins called him a Hall of Famer. I mean, you go on and on. They all had special, special things to say about him because he's a special person and a special player. Really a once in a lifetime 
type of talent, in my opinion, at the running back position. I'll throw out every word. I don't care. Generational, right? Not a whole lot of refrigerators on wheels like Derrick Henry at 6'3", 250, runs the football the way he does. So, yeah, I do think he's proven to be generational. And when, when I look at the argument for re-signing him, and I'll outline some of my some of the line of thinking that I, that I wrote in the article about a week ago now, um, Tajay Spears looks very good. Uh, it, it certainly deserves more work next year than he got this year. A bit more work. Not a ton more, but a bit more work. But he's not a bell cow. Right, I don't. He's not a three-down back. He lacks the yeah, size. We don't and stature, know that. I think we don't know that. I don't think he's a bell cow. <laughs> I'll just say it. That I don't. I don't think he's a three-down bell cow. I don't think he runs the ball thirty times for you in a game that you want to run the ball thirty times, like Derrick Henry has on many, many, many occasions. I don't think that's Tajay Spears. So next very year, very few, very few guys in the NFL are that. But to your point, yes, Derrick Henry's one of them. Yes, exactly, exactly. Derrick Henry's one of them. Yeah. Right, so. You want to pair Tajay with someone that's Derrick Henry-like. And that's almost unfair to say because no one's Derrick Henry-like. But it would be a bigger-bodied, bigger-statured guy that could handle early down work, goal line work, between-the-tackle work, and let Tajay do some of the other stuff. Well, Derrick Henry is that type. He is the sort of ideal complement, even as he gets up there in age age, uh, to Tajay Spears. Right, so you need to add a guy like that regardless. Yeah, you might be able to do it in free agency for cheaper. Yeah, you might be able to do it through the 2024 NFL draft. Although I argue, I, I, it, I, it would be on day three, but I don't really want to see them use a pick on a running back. Now, that's low on my totem pole of arguments for bringing Derrick Henry back. But the way they need so many, uh, they have so many other holes, premium positions. Uh, I don't want to use a pick on a running back, to be blunt. I, I, I don't think so. So that's one argument. The other argument, and this is the most important one, is what's it going to cost you? I mean, you're entering the offseason with $79 million in cap space. That number, uh, Zach Efford's pod wrote a great article stacking the inbox. Make sure you check it out. That number is going to be above 85, right? When it's all said and done. When you cut Andre Dillard, there's some rollover money. Maybe there's a restructure there. Maybe another guy or two gets released. There's money going to be found that's going to bring that to at least $85 million. And that's probably me being safe, saying 85. It'll probably be more than that. What's it going to cost to re-sign Derrick Henry? I mean, two years, $12 million? Like, does he get more than $6 million a year? I don't think he does. I mean, this is scheduled to potentially be a loaded class, right? Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs, maybe Saquon Barkley, Gus Edwards, uh, Deontay Foreman, Zach, I think Zach Moss, Devin Singletary. Like, there are all these guys that had good years that are currently scheduled to reach free agency. It's a non-premium position. It's no longer paid like a premium position. He's a 30-year-old running back that doesn't catch footballs, right? So maybe some of that's an argument to not bring him back. But my point is, it's not going to cost you a lot, right? Two years, 12 million is probably what I project. And look, self-admittedly, I'm not a cap guru, but we saw it with DeAndre Hopkins this year. Not everything's apples and apples and oranges and oranges. That doesn't mean it's even going to cost you $6 million towards your salary cap next year. You can backload it. There are, dumb, there are dummy years. There are bonuses. DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins made what? An, an average annual earning of twelve or $13 million this year, and he cost them $4 million towards the cap, right? So even if you're at $85 million, Hell, even if he did cost you six, bringing you down to 79, can you not address everything else you need to address with 79 million? And it's not going to cost you six. It probably costs you two or three or four. So you can bring Derrick Henry back and achieve everything else you need to achieve. You can go out and get offensive linemen and defensive backs and a wide receiver or two and a linebacker and a D lineman, whatever the heck your heart desires. You can do all of that. My favorite line 
I'm a bit poetic when I write my stuff and I enjoy the lines that stand out to me. My favorite line that I wrote in the article was, uh, Derrick Henry's not the problem with the Titans offense. The problem with the Titans offense is a lack of Taylor Lewan, Ben Jones, Roger Saffold, uh, Corey Davis-like receiver two opposite DeAndre Hopkins, all that stuff. Even hell, John New Smith, as good as he was here and consistent, both as a pass catcher and blocker. That's the problem with the Titans offense. It's not Derrick Henry. Yeah. That's not the problem. The problem is everything else that they don't have, right? So I see no reason why, again, maybe I'm too close to the situation. Maybe we're letting fandom emotion get into it, yada, yada. I'm not saying overpay him. I'm not saying bring him back by any means necessary. I'm not saying give him a four or five-year contract. I'm not stupid, right? I'm a fan, but I'm not stupid. So two years, 12 million, you protect yourself. You need a back like him opposite to complement Tajay Spears anyway. You still lean into Tajay a bit more next year. You give him a little more of the workload than you did this year. It's more of a timeshare, a traditional timeshare than it was, a bit more. Um, but I, I don't see why you don't bring him back. Yep, yeah, I agree. And here's another argument in favor of bringing him back. If Derrick Henry is not on the roster next year, he will count $4.7 million against right. the yep. salary cap because the Titans had added void years to the contract extension he signed most recently, which means that... They can they can negotiate another extension and undo the the dead cap hit of four point seven million with those void years that were added if they structure things correctly with a restructure here with an extension I mean so they can bring Derrick Henry back and pay him the four point seven million dollar cap hit and have him on your team as opposed to having that four point seven million dead cap hit and he's not even on the roster now in order to do that they'd have to re-sign him before he officially hits free agency I think is how it works although I'm not a hundred percent sure. Derrick Henry did say in his end-of-season press conference that he's interested in testing the free agent market. He's never been a free agent. He said he's ha he's talked to people around the league who have experienced it. He wants to kind of go through the process of, of being sought after and seeing what teams come to him with. And he could go through all that and end up back in Nashville, you know, enjoy the experience of being pursued and then come back home to Tennessee. Or he may end up, you know somewhere in Florida, close to where he grew up, or he may end up on a Super Bowl contender with a good offensive line trying to maximize the last years of his career. We'll see what happens, but I tend to agree with you. I think it makes the most sense for him and for the Titans for him to end up back in Nashville, assuming Mike Vrabel is still the head coach. If the Titans hire, the Titans get rid of Mike Vrabel and bring in someone else who has like a new vision for the direction of this team, then I think all bets are off. We are going to do another episode today on the Mike Vrabel situation, the potential conflict he has with Rand Carthon in the front office and everything going on there. So make sure you, you stay tuned to the feed later today, or, or maybe it's already out, depending on when you're listening to this, that we are also going to do a bonus episode just talking solely about the Mike Vrabel situation. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, I think that that's the one caveat I have is that if Mike Vrabel is not here, then maybe Derrick Henry's not back either. But I think it was an awesome send-off game for Derrick Henry. On that 69-yard run that you mentioned earlier, he hit his top speed in a ball game since 2021, I believe. And he was the seventh fastest ball carrier speed of anyone this season on that run. So the idea that he's lost a step I mean, when he reaches top speed, his top speed is the same thing it was two years ago, three years ago in 2021. Um, now, maybe it takes him another step or two to get up to top speed. Maybe he's lost a little bit of the acceleration or the burst aspect. But as far as having lost a step in terms of pure speed, like he's still running at the same speed at 30 years old. We know that Derrick Henry works out as hard or harder than anyone in the NFL in terms of keeping his body in peak physical form. So the drop-off that comes for running backs, all those running backs that have the drop-off, 
Of course, Derrick Henry is going to go through it too, but I think it could be less pronounced, maybe more gradual, simply because of how well he takes care of his body. And if you bring him back in a role, like you said, to complement Tajay Spears, where Spears takes on more of a lead back role and Derrick Henry takes on more of a fourth quarter, short yardage, goal line, red zone type of role, then you can extend his career that way too by taking some of the load off of him. So I think, you know, it just makes sense. If this was Derrick Henry's last game in Nashville, though, It was an awesome one. It was so fun to watch Vintage Henry running all over the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think it's poetic, as you mentioned poetics earlier. I think it's poetic that it happened against Jacksonville. You know, he's from Uly, Florida, which is the closest city. Jacksonville's the closest NFL team to Uly. His breakout game came in 2018 on Thursday Night Football against the Jacksonville Jaguars when he ran for over 200 yards and four touchdowns, including the 99-yard touchdown run. So I think it's just fitting that... In his last potential game as a Titan, it was against the Jags again, and he got to run all over them again. And Tajay Spears even said his rushing touchdown should have gone to Derrick Henry, (laughs) which I thought was funny and just, again, shows the kind of teammate that Henry is and the respect that he commands in that locker room. So anything else you want to say on Henry here, or should we move on, talk a little bit more about this game and really look forward to the draft here with the Titans, the the draft order finally being set? No, I think we've covered it. I, I do think we should talk about the draft order. Um, Titans have the number seven overall selection in the 2024 NFL draft. It's the same pick they entered Sunday with, um, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about losing this game. Of course I would have, you know, I understand where that comes from. Hell going into it. I thought it was the right thing to do. I'll be honest. It's what I was rooting for rooting for. I mean, rooting. I wasn't rooting against them, but I was hoping the Titans for. Yeah, I was hoping the Titans would come out of week teen with the number four overall pick. Why wouldn't you hope that? I mean, there's nothing really to be gained from winning this game. But I think people should know, had the Titans lost, based on the other results that happened, they would have finished with the sixth sixth pick. And if you go to tankathon.com and you're looking at the draft order and you're like, well, wait a second. If they had lost, they'd be 5-12. and 12. The Chargers would be 5-12. and 12. The Titans' strength of schedule says .522. The Chargers says .529. So wouldn't the Titans have had the fifth pick if they had lost this game? Well, no, because you have to uh, you have to remath the strength of schedule. If the Titans right. had won, you give the Jacksonville Jaguars two more losses. Or sorry, if the Titans had lost, you give the Jacksonville Jaguars two more wins because they play the Titans twice. So when you look at their opponent win totals, the Jags would get two more wins. And then from the Chargers side of things, the Titans would have gotten a loss. The Titans were a Chargers opponent. So the Chargers strength of schedule would have gone down. The Titans strength of schedule would have gone up. They actually would have ended up, I think, tied or LA's opponents would have had one more win. Either way, the Titans don't jump the Chargers. So had they won the game or had they lost the game like many people were hoping for, They only would have moved up one pick. And I think, yeah, maybe the Chargers or the Giants will target a tackle and maybe you'll regret that on draft day, but probably not. And to me personally, as a fan of the Titans in what could be Derrick Henry's last game, sending the Jags home is worth one spot in the draft order to me. (laughs) 100% agree. 100% agree. And look, I I like that you said, because it's true. It could end up mattering on draft day, right? It happens all the time where... The guy that you want, the guy you're targeting, goes one pick before you. You don't get your guy. It could end up mattering. I'm not going to rule out that possibility. We might, hell, we might even look back and regret this, this conversation. We might. But as of now, it's one spot. It seems minor enough to enjoy that victory, to enjoy Derrick Henry's potential send-off, and certainly to enjoy keeping the tarp kitties out of the postseason. I mean, are you kidding me? That was, all, I mean, how pathetic of Jacksonville to enter that do-or-die game win the division and not be able to beat a, a a five win Titans team that, as you said, was essentially playing for nothing. I mean, 
pathetic on the on Jacksonville's part. Take a lot of pride in it if you're Tennessee. Uh, look, if they would have moved up to five, I think I would flat out say it was a mistake. Why do I think five is so different than six? It would have guaranteed you with 100% certainty one of Marvin Harrison Jr., Joe Alter, Olu Fashano. Guaranteed one of those three at number five. Not guaranteed one of them at number six. Not guaranteed one of them at number seven. So to me right now, the difference at seven um, uh, at seven and six, not big enough to say, oh, damn, I'm disappointed that they kept Jacksonville out of the playoffs. No, that was fun as hell to be able to knock them out. I mean, so pathetic. If you didn't enjoy talking your trash on Twitter, you missed an opportunity. Can't spell Duval without an L. Uh, you say whatever the heck you want. Get it off your chest. Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, yada, yada, yada. Uh, no team had a more disappointing season in 2023 than the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, and the Jags were eight and three at one point. It's funny the Titans were seven and three or seven yeah. and four at one point last year, and the Jags ended up knocking them out in the final week. the The story comes full circle as the Titans are the ones that get to send the Jags home. So, Justin, with the Titans officially having the seventh pick, a couple weeks ago you and I discussed how they should attack the first round of the draft compared to what they should do the rest of the draft. Is it that important that they take a tackle? Do you still feel the way we felt two weeks ago, looking at the free agent tackle class, which is fairly weak? And, you know, usually a disaster anyway. Look at, you know, what Mike McGlinchey in Denver. Look at Andre Dillard in Tennessee. Do you think the Titans should take a tackle? And before we answer that question, I think we should run through how many of the teams picking one through six might actually pick a tackle. So number one pick, the Chicago Bears. I think everyone is pretty convinced they're either going to go with a quarterback to replace Justin Fields and trade Fields or whatever, or trade down potentially if they if they deem that Justin Fields is their guy, in which case whoever comes up to one is taking a quarterback. So we're pretty sure quarterback is going number one overall. Now, if the Bears don't get the package they like and they do want to stick with Fields, there's a chance Marvin Harrison Jr. could be that guy number one overall. But I think we can safely assume quarterback is going number one. Washington at two, almost certainly going quarterback at two. Where things get interesting is with New England at number three, because there is a lot of speculation lately, especially since the end of the college bowl season, that Jaden Daniels could be a riser in the process and get into the top five or top three of the draft here and be the the third quarterback taken, that would be huge for the Titans. If one of these quarterbacks, whether it's Daniels or Michael Penix or Bo Nix, who we all have our opinions about them right now, I promise you, if you have followed the draft for as long as we have, you know these opinions will be vastly different in April. There are guys that we are not talking about right now that will be top 10 picks in April. Just the way it happens every year. There are risers through the process. We haven't had the Senior Bowl. We haven't had the Combine. We haven't had Pro Days. We haven't had meetings between teams and, and players. There's haven't had free agency to, to really narrow down needs. So there is a lot that's going to happen over the next few months. I think we can safely assume the Patriots will likely target a quarterback at number three, depending on what happens in front of them. But it seems fairly safe to assume. Things really get interesting with Arizona, the Chargers, and the Giants. How many of those teams need a franchise left tackle? I think Arizona could use one. The Chargers and the Giants are pretty set at left tackle. However, all three of these teams could also use a right tackle. And it's possible that these teams view Fashanu or Joe Alt as franchise-changing players that could play on either side, left or right, sort of the way... The Lions drafted Panay Sewell and put him on the right side, even though he was a left tackle in college and he probably would have been a great left tackle in the NFL. They already had Taylor Decker on the roster, so they drafted Panay Sewell, put him on the right side. Could see the Chargers or the Giants doing that with Ola, Fashanu, or Joe Alt. Could see both of them doing that. I think it's a worst case scenario to think that both of them could be gone by the time the Titans pick. But what are the odds that Malik Neighbors, Ola Fashanu, and Joe Alt are all gone? If those three guys are picked 
between in the top six and Marvin Harrison Jr. is picked in the top six, that leaves room for two quarterbacks to go. It's possible, which is why I say the Titans really need a third quarterback to emerge in this process and cement himself as a top five pick. Well, I like the chances of it happening because quarterbacks always rise, right? You talk yep. about Jaden Daniels. Don't underestimate maybe Michael Penix Jr. I mean, I, I don't think he gets there, but he was outstanding against Texas. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. If he goes out tonight and has a legendary national championship performance against Michigan, uh, you're a Titans fan, Vince Young. You know what that can do for someone's pre-draft stock, right? If you go out and have a legendary moment in such a big game. So I wouldn't totally rule out a third quarterback rising. Um, as of now, I'll say this. The strategy hasn't changed, of course. You still want and hope to get a tackle. I'm cautiously optimistic still at number seven that they could get one of Joe Alt or Olu Fashanu. When I look at those two teams in front of them, the Giants and the Chargers, and yes, they need a right tackle for sure. They could take one of those tackles, flip them to the right. They could take the Alabama tackle and keep them at right tackle, right? Yeah. When I look at those two teams, I start to lean more towards pass catchers. As of right now, the Chargers are going to hire an offensive-minded head coach. There's no doubt about it. After the Brandon Staley failed experiment, they're going to have a new GM. Keenan Allen's getting towards the end of his line. Uh, you're going to have a new GM that did not draft Quinton Johnston and uh, may not view him very fondly right now based on how horrific his rookie season was, in all honesty. Um, they could take a receiver there. I actually lean Brock Bowers for the Chargers as of right now. I mean, they, they've seen what an elite tight end can do playing in that division with Travis Kelsey. They've got such a high opinion of their franchise quarterback, Justin Herbert, as they should. Um, they've got a great left tackle, as you said. They still, you know, they're probably not going to be ready to give up on Quinton Johnson. Mike Williams will be back. So uh, I think tight end, I think tight, I think wide receiver, sorry, is more realistic than tackle for them right now. But I think Brock Bowers is the number one choice for the Chargers um, as we record this months away uh, yeah. from the draft. And, and I look at the Giants, I think wide receiver too. I mean, they, they've, they've had such a hard time finding a bona fide number one. They gave all that money to Kenny Galladay. That never worked out. Uh, probably uh, one team that really lacks a top-end number one receiver in this league. They got a bunch of number two, three, and fours, right? The Darius Slaytons and the Jalen Hyatts and the Wendell Robinsons. I, I'm forgetting one. Sterling Shepard. They had Paris Campbell, I think, this past year. So it's like just a jumbled room of guys that are none of them are a number one receiver. You give them a chance to take Malik Neighbors or the Washington kid. Um, so I think both those teams, Chargers and, Gi Char Chargers and Giants, excuse me, I think they lean offensive playmaker more than they do tackle. And that should set up the Titans nicely, even at number seven, to get Joe Alter or Lufushani. I do think one thing working against the Titans in this particular class is that there isn't a standout defensive player. There's not a lockdown sure. cornerback. There's not yeah. a dominant edge rusher guy, no. a, a Nick Bosa, Chase Young type of guy that's going to go in the top three of the draft. So that's interesting. It looks like from all the mock drafts you see around, 80 to 90% of the top 10 picks people are mocking right now are on the offensive side of the ball, which is where the Titans would prefer to draft as well, I think. You know, we don't know, but we think. I mean, there's the Kool-Aid McKinstries and the Dallas Turners and guys like that out there that potentially I, could crack the top 12, but I think it's going to be a pretty offense-heavy top of the draft. And with this receiver class, I think there's two ways it can go and two ways to look at it. One way is to say it's really deep. So you don't necessarily have to take a receiver super early because there probably will be guys you like there in the second and third rounds. The other way to look at it is there are a handful of guys that are elite. And this could be one of those draft classes like you saw in 2017 where you had three receivers go in the top nine or 2014 where you had two receivers go in the top seven with Sammy Watkins and Mike Evans and then Odell Beckham went number 11, I think, that year. 
It could be like that between Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Romo Dunze, Keon Coleman. I mean, there are guys in this draft class that are going to be first-round picks that could be, you know, we could see three receivers in the top 10. We could see two in the top six. Like, it wouldn't be shocking with as highly built level of prospect that Marvin Harrison Jr. is and a guy like Malik Neighbors, who many people say would be wide receiver one in many, many draft classes if there wasn't a truly generational prospect like Marvin Harrison Jr. also in this class. So it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out through the process and the rumor mill will swirl and people in the in the league will talk to media people about how they view this class and we'll we'll come to learn quickly how many receivers we expect to go in the top 10 and I do think it's possible Marvin Harrison Jr. goes in the top three or four and Malik Neighbors goes a couple picks later and the Titans are left to pick between a tackle and Brock Bowers or maybe you're right Brock Bowers goes to the Chargers and you know the Chargers were pretty heavily connected to Dalton Kincaid last draft cycle they ended up not obviously they ended up drafting Quentin Johnston in the first round but they were pretty heavily connected to tight end there. Obviously, a historically great tight end franchise with Antonio Gates being a long-term time member there and not really having anyone that stands out at the position. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But I think at the end of the day, if the Titans come out of the draft with one of Joe Alt, Olaf Ashanu, or Malik Neighbors, it's a win for this class, for this first round of the draft. And I think that there is a pretty... Good chance one of those three guys will be on the board when the Titans are picking. I think so, too. Yeah, I, I feel good about it right now. Again, the hope was to get up to number five. I mean, anything. Six would have been okay, certainly. I, I think five would, uh, again, be kicking ourselves if more of those results went their way and they could have been at five. But ultimately, I still think they're in a good spot at number seven um, to get a guy that they want. You got to be weary of a trade-up too, though, to be honest. Like, I, I, if one of those tackles is off the board and the Giants say, oh, you know, we like neighbors, we like the Washington kid, we like Bowers. Uh, I look at a team like the New York Jets at number 10 who missed out on Broderick Jones last year because they so obviously wanted a tackle that someone traded up in front of them to get it. The well, now they're going in. The Steelers, yeah. Now they're going into 2024. They're all in on Aaron Rodgers. They really need a tackle. If there's only one of those elite ones left on the board, I wouldn't be shocked if they do to the Titans what happened to them last year. Right? Titans really need a tackle. It's obvious. There's only about one of them left that we that we got an elite grade on. Let's jump them if the Giants are willing to move down. Um, fingers crossed the Giants wouldn't be willing to move down, I think, in that scenario, right? Because they need to get an elite playmaker themselves. And going 6-10, to 10, it, it could be a long way to go, depending on how they view the board. So, uh, But there will be plenty of time to talk for this more uh, in April. I, I think that probably does it for this episode. Derrick Henry, the draft discussion. Uh, if you're watching this, as Graver said, or you're listening, uh, the Mike Vrabel episode, it's probably live right now. We did a whole separate episode talking about Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthon. All the rumors, all the crazy rumors that have swirled Monday afternoon. Uh, so make sure you head into your feed and listen to that one right now. It's probably what you're most interested in. I'm going to venture a guess. It's sort of dominating the talk. So Graver and I decided to do something that we never do. Record two episodes on one day. Get them both out to you essentially at the same time. I think you want to talk about the Derrick Henry and draft discussion. But you also really want to talk about this Mike Vrabel, Rand Carthon thing as well. So head over to that episode right now. Uh, it's another about 25 minutes or so and listen to me and Graver run through that whole uh, scenario. Yes, please do. Please check that out. And before we sign off, I'm going to give you one last Derrick Henry nugget just because I think we need to truly appreciate the greatness that we've been able to witness over the past eight years. Do not take it for granted, Titans fans. Derrick Henry became the fourth player in NFL history to record 1,000 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns in five different seasons. The fourth player. 
The other three players are Sean Alexander, Emmett Smith, and LaDainian Tomlinson. Hall of Fame career for Derrick Henry. Hopefully he comes back to Nashville and puts another 12 to 1300 yards on his resume and truly cements himself as a Hall of Fame guy. But that'll do it. Like Mello said, check out the Vrabel episode. That's when we'll be back. So go check that out now. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. Y'all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway sports media production.